Entrepreneur MBA podcast purpose is to help existing business owners grow their companies past the $10 million in revenue per year benchmark. Here is your host, Stephen Halasnik. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Halasnik, and I am co-founder of Financing Solutions. Uh, Financing Solutions, for those who don't know about us, we provide very easy to set up lines of credit for small businesses. And I will be your host for today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. If you are interested in learning more about getting a business line of credit for your business, please visit our website at fscreditline.com. That's FS as in Financing Solutions creditline.com. Over the last 25 years, I have built six companies in the $5 million to $25 million range, including two companies that have made the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in the United States. I love learning from people and who have business experience. And today I'm very excited to be speaking with Mike Comrade from Aqueous Technologies. Mike began his career in the electronic assembly equipment industry in 1985, and he also founded Aqueous Technologies in 1992 in response to the Montreal Protocol and the resulting international treaty banning most popular cleaning and defluxing solvents. Mike is internationally known uh, is a internationally known award-winning speaker on the subject of increasing reliability through contamination removal and cleanliness qualification uh, uh, quantification techniques, as well as on entrepreneurship. He was also awarded distinguished speaker status with the SMTA in 2018 and received a Rich uh, Freiberger. Best of Conference Award in 19, I'm sorry, in 2019. Mike is the host of the popular Reliability Matters podcast, available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Mike, welcome to today's Entrepreneur MBA podcast. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for inviting me on the show. And where were you 30 years ago when I was starting a business and had no money? <laughs> well, I, I didn't have financing solutions the then. You know, right. The only reason I can do, I know, but hey, listen, I, I'm a perfect person for financing solutions. I started financing solutions with my business partner 11 years ago, and uh, I'm a person, perfect person for it because I'm passionate about the idea that every business should have a line of credit because I've been through what it's like to get to deal with a bank and a commercial bank. And for those of you who have never tried to get a line of credit, you're in for a, a, a rude awakening to find out what a bank will look for to approve you. So, uh, and plus, if you need to increase your line. So, I mean, I had a rather large line with a bank of credit. My business was kicking off. Was, I mean, I'm sorry, kicking butt. We were doing great, both financially and in growth. And I uh, went to my bank and I said, I need an, another $60,000 in my line of credit. And they were like, okay, sure. We'll give you a mo- an answer in a month. And payroll was due on Friday. So, you know, I know what it's like. So it's funny you should say that. Uh, so Mike, let's kind of get into today's topic, which is going to be fun for me too. I'll, I'll try to keep my mouth shut a little more because I, you know, there's something that I kind of uh, know a little bit about too. I mean, uh, today's uh, topic is going to be lessons learned as a reluctant entrepreneur. I, I certainly was not a reluctant entrepreneur, uh, but I think there uh, there's a lot of people out there who'd be interested to hear what you say. So, why don't you kick us kick it off and tell us what made you a reluctant entrepreneur? Yeah, um, 
I, I worked for a, a startup company. I, I'm in the electronic manufacturing services space. We call it the EMS space, which look around you. Anything that has a battery or plugs into the wall that has a circuit board in it um, is something our industry makes. Right? We put together circuit boards. That's, that's the world I live in. And um, those circuit boards uh, need to be cleaned or formally needed to be cleaned after they were assembled, after they were soldered and assembled. That, that's a messy process and they have to be cleaned. And the um, primary solvents that were going to be used to, that were used to clean those were being banned by international treaty. And um, it was a 10 year phase out. And it was as dramatic to our industry as if, if the U.S. were to say in 10 years we're going to ban gasoline, no more gasoline, no more diesel, it would, it, the, the world would freak out. And, and that's our world freaked out. So long story short, I um, developed a, or had an idea to develop a technology that would use alternate uh, materials, water and, and environmentally friendly chemicals, to replace those, those solvents that were being banned. And the company wasn't real interested in, in that idea. Uh, so I, I uh, made a deal with them. I would develop uh, technology on, on my time and you know, my money, and then I would bring it to them finished and let them kind of like shark tank, let them decide whether they're going to want it or not. Um, and they liked it. So I made a deal with them where I built them at night, sold them by day, two separate entities. Uh, and uh, I realized that I was a really good designer and salesman. I was not really that talented at putting things together. And, um, and I realized that after several months, we sold lots of these machines so I made a deal with my, my employer again, said, well, I'll just sell you the rights to it for my out-of-pocket expense. It, it's like $15,000 it cost me to, to develop it. Uh, not a great business person back then. So I, I sold them the rights to it, and now they owned it. And I kind of had that trickle-down theory that if, if it's good for the company, it will ultimately be good for me and everyone at the company, um, which was a bit of a naive statement. And then I, I had this false sense of grandeur. I thought, well, the company wasn't doing well until I sold them this equipment. Now the equipment was rocking and, and we were selling lots of these machines as the deadline for the sol solvent ban was approaching. And I thought I had this level of status at the company. I was in my 20s, you know, or actually early 30s. And I thought I had this level of status. So we had a product development meeting to discuss the next generation of products. And I came up with another idea that would be even more environmentally friendly. It would have no drain on it at all. It would just recycle 100% of all the fluids. And, um, and I had an idea how to do it, and they weren't interested. And then I told my boss, his name was Jack. I said, Jack, I think you're wrong. And then Jack said one word to me that started my business reluctantly. Long answer to your question. He said one word to me. It, was, it started with F, and it had four letters. And it wasn't the word that's probably in your mind. He looked at me when I said, I think you're wrong. He looked at me and went, fine. A very dismissive, a very F you kind of fine. I don't care what you think. We're not going to do it. And in that moment, I started my business in my head reluctantly. I had no dreams or aspirations of being an entrepreneur. And I, but I love business. So maybe I did. I just, it just, I just didn't realize it. I had a dream of building a product. I had an idea. That was the dream. I didn't care if someone else built it. I just wanted to put it out to the world. And um, 
no one would do it. And then finally, my wife said to me when I came home all frustrated, she said, if this is such a good idea, if you have so much passion for this idea, why do you expect someone else to pay for it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's time for you to kind of put on your big boy pants. And if this is really good, if it's everything you think it is, do it. And with that, we started a business. I, I uh, took a few months uh, to build up the courage and uh, max out all of our credit cards. I actually wrote a business plan and took it to a bank. I was 31. And, you know, they, they were kind enough to wait two weeks to send me the Dear John letter. <laughs> we regret to inform you. All my letters from banks started with those words. We regret to inform you. Um, and, you know, good thing we didn't have caller ID back then because all my relatives and friends would see who's calling and not pick up the phone because word got out that I was looking for money. But we, um, we eventually bootstrapped the company and, and, you know, I resigned and, and started the company and, and, uh, <clears throat> and we built a company from there. And then I, I began to realize not only through hindsight, it's taken 30 years. I'm a learner. I'm not a quick learner, but I'm a learner, uh, that the skills that were required to start my business are a death sentence on sustaining your business and growing your business. There's a certain set of skills that one needs to start a business. And there's a certain set of skills one needs to grow a business and another set of skills required to sustain a business. And when I look back, I see that, you know, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics states that 75% of all business startups fail within 10 years. That's just a hard, cold, inconvenient truth. It's, and it, it, since only 25% of businesses make it, thank God I didn't know that back then, or maybe I would have been too scared to start. Um, but the, the skills that I had that I brought to the table were passion, ignorance, arrogance, naivety, ego. And thank God I had all those so-called skills because had I realized that I only had a 25% chance of success and or survival and had I realized how difficult business is and the dark days that were going to be ahead, I would have been scared to do it. So, um, I, 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 um, I'm grateful for the, for the naivety and the ego and the arrogance and, and uh, ignorance and all of that. Yeah. Let me, there was two things that caught my attention that you were talking about. The first one, just to, I don't want to belabor it, but those who haven't dealt with a bank yet, um, and and you have a business idea or you have a business, but you haven't gone to the bank yet. Just, you should all understand that banks don't invest in your business. They don't care. What they care about is your cash flow, your, 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 your financials, your credit history of you. Um, maybe depending on the size of credit history of your business, but that's comes much later. So you don't go to a bank with a business, uh, uh, plan. They really could care less. Okay. You, you go there with your financials and your collateral, and then they say they'll give you the money. Okay. So, so that's, let's just make sure that everybody who's listening to this understands that. Um, there are other organizations that you would go to or other types of organizations that you go to to get funding if you need it and those type of things. We're all familiar with Shark Tank and 
uh, you know, uh, angel funders now and venture capitalists and factors are another uh, ways of going to alternative lenders, those type of things. But banks- We did, factor not- we did factoring for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I did too in the beginning. It was good. It worked out well. It was expensive, served a purpose. but it was good. Served a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Price it was good. The second thing is I want to go back to what you were saying, Mike, about um, the statistic of 75% of businesses fail within the first five years. You know that I'm not disagreeing with that, that, but I would tell you that if you get into a business to business, um, business, uh, industry, it, the statistics are not that high. They're not as high as that because they're throwing in, you know, a cupcake shop and, you know, retail establishments. When you get into business to business, I don't know what the statistic is, to be honest with you. But you don't see a lot. I don't see a lot of people. And I know hundreds of business owners who are in the B2B space or B2G, business to government, and fail. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot less than you think it is. So, uh, um, you have a comment on that, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I mean, that's, uh, that's, that's a, a, um, a, an average, I'm sure some businesses, probably the rest, restaurant space oh, is huge. 85% 95, failure yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and other businesses are probably, you know, 50% or 40% failure, but the aggregate comes out to, you know, uh, uh, 75% failure, um, success rate. But the, to me, it's not that let's just go with the, the 75, 25, just for the yeah. sake of discussion, whatever sure. it is in any different segment is, is, is fair. Um, to me, the reason 75% of businesses fail is not because 75% of businesses fail. It's because 75% of the people behind the business fail to adopt the right skills at the right time. Yeah, that is a common denominator. There are, I'm sure you've seen them in your world, Stephen. That there are um, serial entrepreneurs that are extremely talented at starting companies, and most of those serial entrepreneurs are in it for the quick turn. They're in it to get the first round funding, second round funding, and boom, they're gone. Right? Then they're off to something else. And that, in many, not in every case, but in many cases, that's because they don't either have the desire or perhaps not the skill to grow a company and sustain a company and run it. Um, they know what they're good at and they know what they're not good at or what they don't want to do and what they w- and what they do want to do. And I think the reason that businesses fail at whatever rate they fail at is because the, the founder takes on the role as the CEO, the COO, the CTO all of those things in the early days and, and just doesn't have the bandwidth or the skill set to do it. In my case, I used to consider myself the smartest person in the room at my company. And I, I probably was not because I'm that smart, only because I couldn't afford people, you know, the smart people. Uh, and you know, in the early days, you know, I was looking for bodies. If, if, if you agree, you know, to come to work reasonably on time, and, and do a reasonably good job and not stab me in the neck, you know, during the day, I, you're hired, right? That's all, it, that's all it really took back then. And now my goal is to be the stupidest person in the room at my company because I consider myself pretty bright. And if I can be the stupidest person in the room, then there's some pretty bright people in the room and, yeah. and they will fill in the, 
the gaps in my skill set. If I can't, if I can't learn it, I will acquire it, you know, through yeah. uh, good hiring. Well, you know, and I, I, I'm the complete opposite of you. I can, I already think of myself as the dumbest guy in the room. So I have an advantage in that, um, you know, I, I kind of look at other people's skills or responsibilities to get what I need to get done. Right. And so I'm not the type of entrepreneur who, and I, I listen, I think I'm the aberration. I know hundreds of entrepreneurs. Uh, and I think I'm the aberration that I'm not a control freak. I'm just not, you know, I don't need to get it done. I just want at the end of the day or at the end of the month or at the end of the year, I want that vision to come into play. So, you know, so I, you know, the one thing I've learned over the years of 30 years that there's not one, what there's not one type of entrepreneur that makes it. You, you all, every, you all bring our skills and our, and our experience to play in the business that you build. And, uh, some people are introverts, some people are extroverts. And you say, well, you know, it's very unusual for an, ext- uh, an introvert to do well at their business. Bill Gates is an introvert. Okay. I, I remember before I started my first company, I, I, when I was 17, I wanted to start my own company. I thought I'd go work for a big company, make mistakes on their time, and then start my own business. That's exactly what happened to me. I worked for Xerox for eight and a half years, and then I started my first company. But while I was uh, working for Xerox, I was still taking some business courses on entrepreneurship. And while I was taking those courses, I thought, um, oh, I just need to mimic the successful people that are out there and how they built their companies. And then once I started my companies and met a lot of entrepreneurs, I realized there's tons of different types of skill sets of people who are successful. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. When I left the company that I worked for, for seven years, you had eight years in your you know, training course. I had a seven year yep. training course. Um, they sued me, of course, and not to win. Uh, they never thought they'd make it to court. Um, they never thought I'd make it to court. They sued me to tie me up, and they, and, and it was a very, very strategic, very successful move. Not ultimately successful, but successful in the moment because it sucked up any startup capital I had raised. And, you know, all went to the lawyers. But we had a trial, and I won, um, and you know, good outcome. But one of the things they accused me of was stealing intellectual property and stealing their trade secrets, which they defined as their their method of doing business. And they are right in a sense, or they were right in a sense. And what I told the judge was, I did learn from them, of course. How can you not? But I learned more what not to do than by what to do. And, and I remember watching um, the company, and, and they would make these profoundly stupid mistakes just these strategic mistakes. The owner of the company was extremely passionate and, and very, very angry man. And he would just make impulsive decisions at a, on a whim and not to drive perfection. Like Steve jobs could be described that way, but his goal was perfection. Yeah. As he saw it, uh, this was just, I, I can never explain it. And I remember thinking, if I ever own a business, I will never do that. Thanks for the lesson. And so I learned a lot of negative lessons. You learned a lot of positive lessons 
because uh, it's Xerox. They're not going to make that many stupid mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I learned kind of what not to do. So when I go around the country and I talk about entrepreneurship, uh, which I love to do, um, a lot of I, I go to Dartmouth every year, Dartmouth College, and and, and others. And I love speaking to you know, graduating engineering students about entrepreneurship. I I don't speak on what to do. There's a, plenty of people in that space, and they're very good at what they do. I speak about all the mistakes I've made and what I've learned from it. And you know, you learn one way or the other. You learn either by learning best practices and not experiencing mistakes. Hopefully, um, you know, I learned quite the opposite. I learned everything everything in business that doesn't work or at least doesn't work for me uh, and in the space we're in. And by making those mistakes, I don't have to trust it doesn't work because I'm not a believer in it. When it comes to um, technical ideas, if someone says, yeah, you can't do that, that doesn't work. That challenges me to prove them wrong. Right. I'm like, no, you haven't been able to get it to work. You know, yeah. a lot of things people said wouldn't work that we use today. but business ideas uh, are a little bit different. If I witness a failure in something I've tried, I may try it again, but, but generally I, I, I'm like, okay, you know, once bitten, twice shy, <laughs> I'm not going to put my hand in the fire again. That hurt. Yeah. I'm going to do something else. And, and that's served me well is, is this kind of negative learning. So, so, so I, let's it, do you, this. Yeah. Let's do this. Um, I'm going to a- ask you to tell us some of the things uh, that you say, um, mistakes you made, right? Reluctant, right? Don't do. And I'll, you do one, I'll do one. Okay. You do one and I'll do one. And they, they may not be related, but, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see who wins. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. So go ahead. Tell us the, one of the mistakes that you, or tell us something that you think that everyone else should know not to do. You know, I think growth, business growth, is important in some elements. It's a seduction in other elements. I used to think that the solution to every problem was to just grow, get more business. The problem is if you don't fix your problem, growth amplifies the problem. Everything grows. The tide raises all boats. Everything grows. And if you're a small company getting started, Cash flow is everything. You know, the three rules of business, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, just like in real estate, location, location, location. Cash flow is number one. Even in the early days, even before profit, you know, it's, it's nice to have a profit at the end of the year, but if you, if you can't make it to the end of the year because you can't cover payroll uh, or rent or whatever, you know, profit is, is, is less important than cash flow in, in that narrow description. So if you really want to, suck up whatever little cash flow you have, try growing because growing costs money. It's an investment with a, a payback hopefully later. Um, so I, I used to belong to CEO peer groups and we'd all get together. All these CEOs would get together and, you know, exaggerate our earnings and try and impress each other, you know, with how, how well we're doing. And um, I remember all of them would say, what's your growth plan? What's your growth plan? How much have you grown this year? 8% is not enough. You need to grow at 20, whatever. And, and I realized to answer your question, seduction, uh, growth is a seduction that many businesses can't afford. And, and I realized at some point when we grew from here to here, we were more profitable down here Yeah. to, to grow to the next level. Everyone talks about the next level, the next level 
might have less profit and more headaches than the yes. level before. And that's where ego has to be shedded because it has to be shed because ego drives the desire to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And when I finally realized how to get rid of my ego, or at least put it in a, in a, in a dungeon and lock it up, I'm sure it's still there. Um, that's when I, I learned about what size business makes me the happiest, makes me the most money, makes the company the safest, protects our employees' jobs, our team, team members' jobs. And we actually got rid of some. We fired some customers. We fired some products. We, we thinned the company down to, be, to find its sweet spot. And that's where we live. We're, our desire is not to be the biggest. Our desire is to be the best and to have the highest level of net income and to be able to, quite frankly, do things that can change the world, make the world a better place, as Pollyannish as that sounds. Um, and that, that and growth compete with each other. So, yeah. So let me, and let me add to what you're saying. This isn't my, uh, you know, mistake. Uh, well, it was, I, I, I agree with you, the seduction of growth and of the top line of sales, right? Revenue. It can be very seductive early on as in your entrepreneurship career. I agree with you. Um, I also made the mistake in, in thinking too, uh, I was, uh, I wanted more employees, like I thought, oh, if I have more employees, I have a more successful company. So it just shows you how screwed up I was. Okay, now I want the complete opposite. So, but, um, but I think there's there needs to be a purpose on what you're doing. If there are some times when you want to drive sales and re revenue, there are times when you want net profit to be big. There are times, you know. And so you have to understand why you're doing what you're doing and you've got to maybe check with somebody else. And I think a good person of that is your accountant and, and to say, Hey, listen, I think I need to grow sales and this is the reason why, or, you know, uh, but I think it, you know, even if you ask yourself is, you know, I need to improve and, you know, improve my cash flow. I need to improve my net profit. I, I need to improve. There's another one in which I'm going to talk about. It's called net worth. Right. And I think the objective, my opinion about running a business is to improve the net worth of your own, of you. But, you know, that's just now there's different types of businesses. But for me, if you improve the net worth of yourself, all right, um, then you have a lot more options and flexibility and what I've learned through the years of every 10 years, there's a recession and it really affects your business. And if you have a net worth, you can, you can uh, weather those storms. So, um, so, but that's not my, that's a lesson, but it's not my um, thing that I would say. I, I would say, and I'll keep it simple that even it, you're, I think you're always testing your product and your service to make sure it can make money without putting your house, you know, putting everything on the line. And you, the, the trick is to see if the, in, if the marketplace is going to a, 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 um, pay for your product or pay for your service 
and if you have a real business there. And you have to find a way to get it, your product or service out there spending as little money as you can and test testing it. So there's 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 a lot of times that I did that, you know, which I, I said, all right, let me let me see if someone's willing to pay for this out here. You know, and um, you know, for a younger company, you know, that whole idea that of something called pivoting, whereas you you put something out there, you learn something, and then you make a slight little change. That is something that I learned that really helpful uh, came became very helpful in my sixth company versus my first company. Um, that I, that was something that um, mistakes I had made. Go ahead, you're you're up next, Mike. The other change we made was to our marketing strategy. I'm a salesman at heart. Every job I've had before I started this business had something to do with sales. And I'm a, I'm a pretty good salesman, um, which poses problems, you know, when you start a company because everything is sales, you know, drive, 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 sales, sales, sales. And, and we, we had a marketing campaign that was, looking back, was pretty arrogant and obnoxious. It was, I, I put a, a sticker on all my salespeople's uh, computer monitors that's with an acronym L N O. They're like, Mike, what's, what's this L N O? It's like, lose no order, you know, bring in orders. And they brought in orders. They did what I asked them to do. The problem was they weren't profitable orders because they started making deals. And, you know, one thing I didn't realize back then was if we take 10% off the top line of the machine, that's, that's, you know, 99% of our profit <laughs> is gone. You know, at the end of the day, you know, startup, particularly manufacturing companies, you know, if you make a 10%, you know, net taxable income, that's, that's not bad. Right. And, and, uh, and you give 10% off the top, there's, a, there's all your profit gone, you know, give 12% off the top, you might as well pay somebody uh, to not take a machine. So that was hard to learn. And then I realized that the way we were advertising, we were attracting customers that led with price that led with discounts that led that were needy and and all of our marketing was just loud and obnoxious and offensive to our competitors because we would knock them we were gloves on uh, uh, advertising and marketing so one day i just had this epiphany that i'm tired of all the noise let's let's bring our whole strategy up three octaves and we stopped exhibiting at trade shows. We were big trade show freaks. We were doing seven or eight trade shows a year. Some of them were 150 grand, you know, just to, for three days of booth space. And, and we would advertise in all the print magazines. Print magazines are gone now. They're all digital, but we would, we were just big advertisers. We stopped cold Turkey, just stopped, but we replaced all that energy with education. Now we educate we sell through education because educated customers make educated choices and educated customers don't lead with price and all the, all the drama. They have a legitimate problem. We have a legitimate solution. We connect the dots as in a partnership and we partner with our customers. And that overnight changed the type of customer we attracted because they saw that coming to our website, or, or, or coming to our workshops that we produced or coming to a symposium to hear us speak or signing up for a webinar, 
we've been doing webinars for 15 years, you know, before they were even called webinars. And they realized it was a safe space because we weren't going to sell them stuff. We were going to talk about technical issues and technical solutions to those issues. And to this day, we produce a lot. You know, I go around the world and I speak on, on contamination removal. Not the coolest subject. None of my videos go viral. You know, I'm not a TikTok mm -hmm. uh, sensation because it's very limited. Uh, but, you know, we talk about reliability, improve reliability through contamination removal of circuit assemblies. And I speak around the world. We do workshops and webinars and, and you know, all these symposium and conferences. We don't even show a picture of our product in any of our material because we need it to be a safe place. And if, if you can get a reputation for being technically sound in your field and competent in your field, then people will seek you out. People will find you. They will let their guard down. Not that they need to, but they will let their guard down and they'll turn off their filter where everything you say, they just filter out because it's all blah, blah, blah. It's all sales stuff. And, and it, it, that just created this whole new level of, of marketing for us. I, I can't say a business can start off that way. At some point they need to kind of do the traditional advertising and spend their time at trade shows and, you know, kind of, you know, uh, um, go through that process. But at some point, uh, it might make more sense to switch over to a higher octave to, to just not bash your competitors, not sell th through their loss, but, um, create a situation where everybody wins. I, I had, I, I bought my competitor. We were at a conference a few weeks ago in Minneapolis and my, uh, competitor came up and, and I said, come here, let me buy you a drink. So we're sitting in the bar and we're drinking and he, he looked at me and he goes, I can't believe I'm having, you know, my competitors buying me drinks. And I, and I looked at him kind of with curiosity. I'm like, well, yeah, you are a competitor or we compete, I suppose, but you're out there pushing cleaning. Like I'm out there pushing cleaning. You are more of a colleague than a competitor because okay. you're, you're promoting the same process that I'm promoting. And we need all of our so-called competitors to do that. And customers will decide who they want to buy from. That's up to them. We put on our, you know, front, you put on your front, everyone does it a different way and customers and, and the people who are attracted to however you are presenting yourself will find you. That's just the way it works. Um, but really you're more of an ally because you're helping spread the message differently than we would, but still spreading the message. They're still putting, they're still shoveling coal into the furnace that is driving the cleaning train down the track. If that metaphor makes sense. So that's whole marketing approach is something I learned. Uh, yeah. That you know, works for us. I'll add on to that what you're talking about too, as far as marketing goes. And I, I'll use I use a different word for marketing than than most people do. And I, I it's I call it lead generation. If you can't generate leads, if you can't find a way to get prospects to come to you, rather it be through an education strategy, rather it through be through search engine optimization or search engine marketing or direct mail, even that still exists. Uh, you know, trade publications is, is, is a little bit less than it used to be, but 
If you can't find a way to get client prospects to come to you that convert to be profitable clients, and I'll even add to that, if you can't measure that, you will not be a successful business. It, um, I spend 90% of my time on making sure that our marketing program slash lead generation program is effective, efficient, produces um, good results. And uh, I mean, I'm lucky in that my business partner, and out of the six companies I've built, two of them have had business partners and I've had very good luck, uh, great, he's my best friend too. Um, so the, uh, so he handles the other part of the operations, which is good. We have a, a good mix, but I've had other companies where I didn't have a business partner and, um, and, but I still, my core competency has always been marketing and, but I, I see it all the time where companies can't grow big enough because they don't spend enough time on trying to figure out how they're going to acquire their clients. And they think it's either through word of mouth or hiring a good salesperson. Um, I, I think that that's, um, that's something that someone has to look at on a consistent basis. And, and as a business owner, um, you have to put more time in marketing than you think you do. So well, everything, you, everything is sales and marketing, whether you're answering the phone, sweeping agreed. the floor, putting things in boxes, unloading boxes, yep. building stuff. Everyone has a role in, in sales and marketing. They are yep. all uh, a projection of our company and, yep. and our mission. So you're right. Uh, the world is marketing. We just redefined what our version of marketing was. And yeah, the and problem we're is in a highly a, technical world. It, it makes sense for us. It may not make sense if you're selling hamburgers to do yeah. educational videos on, you know, the benefits of eating hamburgers. Uh, there, it might just be, you know, we're better than Wendy's or we're better than McDonald's. I mean, that, that every, the, I'm not saying other policies and other methods are wrong. They just became outdated for us. It was yes. time for something new. And well, you, the, the the time when your business will really start humming is when you've figured out that marketing strategy, right? Rather it be through an educational strategy, um, rather it be through search engine optimization, whatever it is, your business will really start. And it takes a lot of trial and error, measuring creative ideas to come up with that strategy. And sometimes the strategy changes because it, it, the, what worked once didn't work again. So, so, uh, so I need uh, one more uh, mic from you and maybe we'll see if I'll do another one, but Mike, give us another uh, uh, learning experience you've had over the years. We, we, and probably most people, not just entrepreneurs, managers, you know, frontline employees, whatever, um, we make decisions through a lens and part of what's on that lens is fear. We, I found that we had made a, a decade or more of fear-based decisions. And, you know, what happens if we don't do this? What happens if we do do this? And, and I hired a, a consultant to come work with us and she still works with us. We've been meeting with her for years and she's brilliant. 
And one of the things she taught me is take time and money off the table. And say, if it wasn't for money or time, would this be the right decision? And if the answer is, well, yeah, if I had the money and if I had the time, this would be the right decision, then that's the right decision. And, you know, take the filters off. And then the right decision will be very obvious and clear. And then, you know, figure out a way. If it's the right decision, you'll find a way to, to make it happen. Um, and one of the things that we... One of our fear-based decisions was we were afraid, you know, LNO, lose no order. And I alluded to this before, you know, we would give discounts. And we were covering cash flow requirements. Like we needed payroll next week. We'd get a bunch of orders in and, and none of them were profitable, but we'd cover payroll. And that was tomorrow's problem is, is profit. Uh, but we, we decided to cold turkey it one day and I made a decision, no more discounts. Our prices are fair. We have to be profitable in order to be around to service our customers. They're investing in us, and they're investing in this. You know, these, these machines cost eighty grand or more. Um, you know, they they expect them to be around for a few years. If we're careless with our money, then we're putting our customer at jeopardy. It's not just what we want a, a, a vault full of cash. You know, we need to be around uh, to cover our customers' investment. So. Um, we made a decision, no more discounts. And I went to a trade show and this is one of the last trade shows we, we exhibited that. And I had already told my team and they were not very happy. We are not going to discount machines at all. We are just going to face the fear and take it off the table and just make the right decision. And they were very uh, pessimistic and they were very reluctant and they didn't think it would work. And sure enough, the business gods of the world would test me during that moment. And I was talking to a customer and we're talking about the price of the machine. And I forget what it was at the time. Let's say it was 50 grand you know, machines, 50 grand. He goes, well, your competitor down around the corner um, is offering, you know, their version of your machine for 30 and that's a show discount. And my team heard me and all of a sudden all eyes were on me and ears were on me. I'm like, okay, time to put up or shut up. Right. Old me would have said, they said 30, we'll do 28, but you, but you got to do it now. You got to do it right now. You can't even go back to them. You know, it would be this shark tank kind of thing. So I said, well, 30 is a good price. I said, but let me tell you something. If you're only looking at price, I can, I can show you where you can get it for, you know, 19. <laughs> let me show you. And I grabbed my computer and I opened it up and, you know, I, I, I went online and I showed him where he could get a, a machine that claims to do everything that that machine did for, for much less than even that machine. And he looked at me and goes, you're not afraid that I'm going to go buy a cheaper machine? And I said, no, oh, I never promised this would be the cheapest machine. I'm saying this is the best solution for you as far as we can see. But if, if price is an element and I respect that because not everyone can afford what we make, I, I totally understand. And I appreciate that. And I respect that. And I want to preserve our relationship so that if, if in the future you come back, we'll be here for you. Right. Um, when you're ready. And I didn't slam the competition. I, I actually, um, you know, paid tribute to their low price. I never said it won't work. I kind of implied it, but I never really said that. And a customer bought the machine from us. And not just that we sold, I don't know, I want to think it was like 200, $230,000 worth of equipment on the show floor 
and which is a little unusual. And it worked. I got an email from General Electric, GE. Turned out they hired somebody. GE has a lot of divisions, dozens of divisions. And, and someone, they hired someone to kind of put all the divisions together. And they looked at our company and many others and they go, you know, you guys sell a lot to all of our divisions. So we're going to kind of throw them all in one pile and say, okay, you've sold X number of machines to a GE company. We looked it up on our chart and that, that requires a 30% discount. They, they created their own volume discount scale. And, and they sent an email saying, you know, you got to reply, you know, that you approve the 30% discount. And I just deleted it. I didn't reply. I just hit delete. I got another email, second request, delete. I got another email, third request, delete. I got a letter in the mail, threw it away. And I should have said, they said, if we don't agree to it, they will not be purchasing any more equipment. None of their divisions will purchase equipment from us. Throw it away. And I got a phone call from this person. And they said, yeah, you know, we sent you some emails. We must have your wrong email address. I go, oh, no, no, I got your emails. And I got your letter. And, um, and now I'm on, on the phone with you. And I, I got it. Oh, you didn't reply. I said, no, I didn't reply because we don't, we don't agree. I didn't argue. I didn't push back. I respected their position. I said, you know, that's not something that works in our world. Our, our prices are our prices. And we put a lot of thought and energy into the price. And that guarantees our ability to be around to support our customers. Yeah, well, that was a purchasing agent who gets paid based on Absolutely. how much money he saves the company. So you got to understand the inside. But, uh, the, but the whole point is fear-based decisions. I told him yeah. no, very respectfully, no pushback, no argument. Just, yeah. just doesn't work for us. And he said, you know, they won't buy from us again. I said, I totally respect that. Because it wouldn't make sense for us to sell it to you at that price anyway. So we're kind yeah. of kind of win win. That's a huge discount. Yeah. Yeah. And guess what? He kept they, they kept working. Yeah. Kept working. Full yeah. price. Full yeah. price every time. Never lost a penny. Fear based decisions would have stopped us from making that decision. And we would have been in the world of discounts and low profit margins and all of that. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that, and, and then and we'll wrap it up. But um, mine is, is something similar in that area, and that is margins will determine if your business is very, very valuable. Um, the higher the margins, uh, now again, every industry is different, okay? But if you have higher margins than your competitors, you're doing something well in general, okay? Um when you're looking for a business, potentially, if you're looking to get into an industry or you're looking to buy a business, margins will tell you a lot about that company. And what I found is um, the lower margins, you have less room of an, uh, you can't make as many mistakes. And uh, the better companies have better margins. So, um, you know, when you're looking at, it's also important to know what your margin is versus your competitor's margin. And I had similar situations like you, Mike, where I became best friends with my competitors. <laughs> we would call each other up, you know, and this is the other thing is when you're talking about small businesses, okay, small businesses like, listen, under $15 million a year. Uh, this that's really a small business. Oh, and $20 million could be a you know, small business. Okay. But when you're talking about $5 million a year business, $10 million a year business, um, your, um, your margins, 
you should know what your margins are versus the industry in general. Are you above everybody? Are you below everybody? What's normal? What's not normal? You know, um, that tells you a lot about your cost structure, your selling method, your product uh, quality. It tells you a lot. So uh, information is really valuable in business. And that's just one area, knowing your margins, knowing everybody else's margins as well. So, um, you know, it was a really good conversation. I think Mike and I could probably go on for hours and hours and hours about what we've learned, right? Mistakes we've made, maybe a lot less time of things that we did well, right? Because a lot of it's trial and error and you figure it out as you go along. Would you agree one, with that, one Mike? Show, one show will be a mini series and one will be a 30-minute special, right? <laughs> there you Guess go. which one? <laughs> Guess which one? There you go. Yeah. So, I mean, you just got to get experience. That's the end of the day. I'd like to thank so very much Mike Conrad from Aqueous Technologies for coming on to today's podcast. And if you like today's podcast, please feel free to share it with a friend and also subscribe on your favorite podcasting app so you can get other great notifications about really great guests like Mike Conrad. Um, and if you um, liked today's podcast or the other ones that we've done in the past, please give us a review. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your business, you can call us at 862-207-4118 or visit our website at fscreditline.com. Mike, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Oh, the easiest way is mike at mikeconrad.com. That's Conrad with a K. So mike at mikeconrad.com. Yeah, it's K-O-N-R-A-D. That's right. And great. Um, So like today's takeaway is you're all going to make mistakes. All right. Um, hopefully it's not devastating. I, I don't think, I don't know if Mike and I would say that we made devastating mistake. We wouldn't be here today if we did. Uh, you know, you got to take chances, but you got to take calculated uh, risks, you know, know what you're taking and then go for it. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the, some of the things that we learned is uh, really, you know, know what, know a little bit more about what you're doing, take calculated risks. So everybody have a fantastic day. It was a great episode today. I I learned a lot and hopefully you did as well. Thanks, Stephen.